You're listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. Welcome to another episode of Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. I'll introduce myself first. I'm Christine, and joining me today are... It's Shelby. Back, guys. Hey. Mary. And Lauren. Hey, guys. So, it's so great that we could all come together like this. And as I mentioned, uh, we are going to talk about the Daredevil movie from 2003. Uh, it's a very uh, controversial movie <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it's got, you know, good parts and bad parts and everything in between. And people have a lot of feelings and uh, reactions and associations with this movie. So as a first topic of conversation, I thought we'd just uh, maybe talk a little bit about how we first came across this movie and you know, sort of the circumstances of that and our first kind of initial reactions. And um, if I'll go first, I would just uh, say, I, I've talked about this actually on previous podcasts that uh, when I first saw this movie, I, this was my first encounter with Daredevil. So I saw the movie in, I think, 2005 on like a VHS tape that I rented and I hadn't seen it. I'd never heard of the character. Um, I mean, I'm in, you know, Sweden and it wasn't, he's never been famous over here. So that's how I saw the movie. And the first time I saw it, I didn't really remember much of it. I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. And then it was on TV about a year later, and there was really nothing else on. So I started watching it again. And uh, of course, there, there are a lot of scenes and stuff in this movie that even like, you know, as you're watching them, they kind of come across as like super stupid and kind of corny. And like, what are they thinking? And a lot of stuff that's just weird. But it it did introduce me to sort of the concept of the character. And I thought the concept of the character was like super interesting. So I owe this movie a huge debt of gratitude. Uh, they have a, I wouldn't say a love or hate relationship with it because I don't actually really hate it, but I, I do think it's kind of stupid in places. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, that's how I found Daredevil and the rest is history. Turning it over to Shelby. Yeah, like you, um... I didn't know anything about this character. And I think the first thing I saw was a trailer. And I was like, ooh, Ben Affleck. Ooh. this!" And then, you know, like the whole premise, I was like, this kind of ticks off some boxes. But for whatever reason, I didn't go see it in the theater. I think what happened was along the way, I was in one of those Columbia House DVD club things and probably forgot to return the card. And the movie just got sent to me. And I was like, ooh, finally going to get to watch Daredevil. Yay, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the best movie. And then it wasn't. At that time, I was like, this is just weird. <laughs> I wanted to love it so much. And then I, then I forgot about it. And then I heard about the Netflix show. Watch that. And I think I rewatched the movie in between seasons two and three, like starred for Daredevil content, because by that time I'd read like all the comics. And I think this is a movie where you really do have to have some comic book knowledge to appreciate it. And when I watched it that second time, I was like, I kind of love this. I love it now. They're so, it is goofy. It is, but it is so like, it's like they took every era of comic books and like, let's just cram it all into like 80 minutes. That's, that's a good that's description actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mary. Okay. Um, well, I read a lot of entertainment news and probably eh, a little less than a year before the movie came out. I remember there was a movie about a superhero 
called Daredevil coming out and Ben Affleck was in it. I'd never heard of Daredevil before. I was somewhat into superhero movies. I'd never really read comic books. So I thought, well, this sounds like a really interesting character. I'll see if there's a comic book shop anywhere near me. And there was. So I started reading the comics several months before the movie came out. I don't remember what I read first, but I know I've got the um, Essential Daredevil Volume 1 that starts with the the ones from the 60s, the Stan Lee ones. <laughs> and I, I started there, and then I, I read some of the more popular runs. I've definitely not read all of them. I read months worth, so I got a good flavor for the character. I was super, super, super hyped for the movie, and that was kind of a mistake. The movie was coming out on Valentine's Day. You know, I remember telling my husband, this is what I want for Valentine's Day. Let's go see it when it comes out. I want to get to the theater early, because at that time, you know, you didn't have all the the fancy five-star lounge seating. You just got there and whatever seat was available, that's what you got. And the movie theater that we usually went to would get really busy on premiere nights. So we got there like an hour early because I said, I want to get my favorite seat because I had a favorite section at the movie theater. I wanted the perfect experience. This is awesome. Oh my gosh. And so my husband brought a book because he's a very patient guy. So he said, okay, well, while we're standing or sitting in line, I'll read. And I brought a book too. You know, we finally got in. I got my seat, sat there and read a little bit more until finally the trailers came on. And I was was like, finally. And then I was filled with disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just what they were trying to do with the character and what I knew from the comic books just didn't really line up. You know, I was excited because I thought, wow, you know, I've only heard of these superheroes growing up and now the world's about to discover in popular culture this superhero that I've grown to love so much. This is awesome. And then I was just sort of like, this isn't that superhero. The movie really wasn't that great. So it was a little embarrassing for me. <laughs> My husband was like, so that's yeah. Daredevil. I was like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I try not to get my hopes that high anymore because really, it, you know, I had it built so far up. I had it up on this high pedestal and it just plummeted right off. So I think I, I learned a lesson there. So Lauren... That's your story. <laughs> yeah, so I was a little, I think, younger, maybe 15 or so. Um, I was really into the other superhero movies, uh, X-Men that came out in like 2000, Spider-Man. So this was kind of the next one. Or Super excited. I went in theaters. Um, I think my dad took me. And as a... <laughs> As a teenager, and I was, you know, I loved Ben Affleck. I loved the movie. <laughs> I knew nothing about, nothing about the uh, the character or the comic books. I don't feel like I was at an age where I was really critiquing movies. I don't think I remember thinking about, like, how is this as a movie as a whole? I think I was just so enamored with Matt Murdock that I just <laughs> loved it. And I loved Electra even now, knowing that that was so far off track what Electra should be. Um, yeah. So I actually really liked it. And I think I took my mom to see it. God bless her soul. She's. <laughs> <laughs> She does not even like that kind of stuff. And, and she took me again. So 
Yeah, I just, I really loved it. And like nobody else really did. But that's when my love for Daredevil started and then just kind of waned for a long time. That's, that's such a great story. I love that we have the entire spectrum of reactions here. Yeah. Although I yeah. would say that I think for both <laughs> me and Lauren, it's like going into it, not knowing anything about the character definitely helps. Because if you're not like, I rewatched it just earlier, just for recording this episode. And of course, I've, I've seen um, both the theatrical and the uh, director's cut many, many times. Uh, but it was a long, long time ago. But um it really helped to have that as your like your first introduction to the character rather than coming off like years or or intense months as in uh, Mary's case like something like take the this scene for instance where he actually kills the Jose Quesada character oh gosh oh, God. <laughs> i mean that's mildly shocking and it's one of those things that when you're watching the movie and like at the end it's like well you know he's still kind of uh He's not even, you know, a murderer running loose here. Uh, <laughs> so that that's kind of a, a plot thread dangling that we don't really uh, want. But killing is bad, boys and girls. Don't do it. But it was not, I didn't know that that was like antithetical to everything the character represents. So, of course, that would have been upsetting, you know. Well, I know the movie was supposed to show growth because later he mm-hmm. was going, you know, I'm not the bad guy. But yeah. now I haven't seen the movie for a year or so, but correct me if I'm wrong. When they were in the little cafe and he was talking to Foggy, didn't Foggy say, we've been hearing about this guy for years? Mm-hmm. So yeah. in other words, Daredevil's probably committed more homicides at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah. yeah. So it took yeah. him a few years to finally grow and realize he wasn't the, the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And well, I mean, did Daredevil really like murder him, or did the subway murder him? Oh, he did. He totally murdered. Him. <laughs> no. Now we're no, no, at the end of the tunnel. It's not heaven. It's, it's the sea training. <laughs> if I give you a glass of water with some poison in it, and I present it to you, and you drink it, was that suicide? <laughs> and not only that, he must have gleefully found some kind of fuel and in a perfect font put dd on yes. the subway platform oh, that's all yeah oh, you love it no love i remember it. yeah oh i remember thinking even at the time i'm like why why did he do that that's like number one he's incriminating himself number two like how did he do that when first like logistics like how do you find the time where do you get the gasoline he wasn't carrying that and also i mean he's still like blind so I mean, of course you can smell where you put the first D, but then like the second D is going to go in the right place. And- yeah, it's going to be all like yeah. like and, and run I know together. That his senses yeah. are supposed to be really disciplined because I was thinking just the smell of that stuff should yeah. drive them bonkers. And I'm like, wait a second, this is the same guy who sleeps in a sensory deprivation chamber in oh, the movie. So obviously want- he doesn't have control of those senses. Yeah. So yeah, again, what's he doing with gasoline or whatever that is? Yeah, sounds like Shelby wants to talk about that. Oh, yeah. the uh, the sensory, sensory deprivation. <laughs> yeah. Where did that, why? Why? Where did yeah. that come from? It didn't come from the comics as far no. as I know. No, it's That's what I was going to ask Christine. You're not I was going to sleep that's... all night in those. Yeah. <laughs> but like, really, like, how does that science work? He's got super heightened senses. Does that sensory deprivation chamber do anything at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally does. It totally does. No, no, no. It totally does. And that's actually the thing that one of these days I'm going to 
uh, force you to listen to, to a post an episode on it. Of, uh, yeah, a post or like an episode of, of my own podcast, or maybe this one talking oh, about yes. the, the census stuff. Yes, 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 but, yes. But yes. Um, yes, it actually does work because that, that's the thing that's often annoyed me about how Daredevil is like sort of written and represented. It's often presented as if his hearing is infinite, but it's not, that's impossible. Not because of his hearing, but because of the physics of sound. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sound doesn't penetrate indefinitely, however, I'm like, I mean, yeah, if you put, uh, you know, encase him in like lead, he's not going to be able to hear through that. No way. No way. But I was like, can he hear his own body? Can he hear the water? Oh, yeah, yeah, there? yeah. That's, but that's that should work. Was... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and normally with sensory deprivation chambers, aren't you supposed to only spend a certain number of hours in there, not actually sleep overnight <laughs> in those things? Because actually, <laughs> well, he, I was he was reading... popping a whole lot of like pain pills and stuff. Oh, those yeah. were opioids. He was like taking three oh, different yeah. opioids. <laughs> drowning in there you know like, <laughs> I know because that can slow down your breathing yeah. and you know, um but like, like that I was, and he's in water I mean yeah, yeah. and I was yeah. looking up sensory deprivation chambers and like they said short-term sessions are conducive to relaxing you know and meditation which apparently yeah, like that Matt Murdock minutes. didn't do yeah. but it said um an extended or forced sensory deprivation that can result in extreme anxiety hallucinations bizarre thoughts temporary oh. senselessness and depression <laughs> and I'm well, like well he does okay, have that those problems yeah that, that explains the depression and yeah. you know what if yeah. he's out most of the night maybe he is only spending a few hours in there maybe he only sleeps a few hours a night but still yeah. that was that was bizarre and he must go through a lot of salt that was an awfully small drawer unless all those drawers were full of the, the salts to yeah. put in the how much do they cost <laughs> I, like, thousands yeah yeah you, you have to definitely. have a loan for those things <laughs> like buying a car also keep in mind he like his entire like setup he had like a separate room with all the equipment in it so mm-hmm. oh, i yeah. think he's is willing to spend some money on this particular lifestyle is what i'm saying but that's yeah. that's what i another thing i wondered though because where is this money coming from he gets paid in fluke yes yeah, right and they yeah, never explained that and he's got yeah. this whole like inner sanctum thing this emporium of daredevil costumes and and weapons and who's making I, this stuff yeah yeah there's so many it's questions. amazing and, though and it's a, it's a relative, like the theatrical cut's pretty short, so there's not a lot of time for them to explain anything, so they don't mm-hmm. even try. But so it's just weird a lawyer not making any money having this fancy, like he touches the wall and these panels open, you know, like kind of pivot. And I'm thinking, he didn't build that. No. Who so built that? wait, so does the direct, what, what have I missed in the director's cut? I don't think, I, I don't oh, know if I've watched. You missed Coolio. there's a line in the theatrical cut that doesn't make sense until you watch the director's Mm -hmm. cut i don't remember what that line is but it it has to be any line coolio's Mm storyline yeah there's coolio uh and i would not say it's a highlight of his career but um he's in there so lauren you were about to say something Oh, I think I was just going to say that the director's cut makes the whole movie just flow better. Mm-hmm. And maybe even the uh, the whole storyline of like Lisa Tazio, like I feel like there's some things there that make more sense mm-hmm. with the director's cut. So I feel like when I finally got the director's cut, I was like, oh, wow, this is a this is a better movie than it was in theaters. I feel like by the time I got that, I kind of understood that Daredevil was not a great movie, but I still loved it. (laughs) (laughs) No, the director's cut is, uh, I mean, it's still not a great movie, but it's a vast improvement over the I always say it brought it up a letter grade. Like for me, it brought it up a letter grade. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What what did this movie do at the box office? Does anybody know? Like Mm. back in 2003, like what was a box office? Was it a hit or or not? No, I don't don't think so. 
I don't think it, it, they probably made the money back, but I mean. Well, think about what all it tries to cover in this movie. You get the origin story. You get Kingpin. You get Bullseye. You get Electra all in one movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so it made um, almost a hundred and eighty thousand million. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And its budget was seventy-eight million. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So That's... you know, I mean, in two thousand three, though, I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah. It might have been. I don't know what else came out in two thousand three, but I mean, it was before <laughs> all. I mean, yeah, but I mean, now we have so many superhero movies. Um, yeah. And, now we have billion-dollar uh, movies. Yeah. Exactly. And I think at the time it was probably, I mean, also coming out beginning of the year, I mean, okay, Valentine's Day, but I mean, it's not usually, it's not a huge, probably doesn't have much competition in February. Am I right? I don't know, but it probably did. Okay yeah, that's, at the yeah, time. I think that's, yeah. So it made what, 180 million? The mm-hmm. same year X-Men 2 came out and it made 407 million. Oh, oh, okay. 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 So, so I feel like by that point... Juxtaposed against X two, I mean it was critically slammed too. So obviously it uh, didn't have a great reputation right, right out of the gate. So moving on to some of the things that uh, maybe we liked about the movie, especially when I hear maybe from Lauren what some of your, your favorite moments are. One thing I'll say right away is that I love the score. Yes. The score by what, I don't know how you pronounce it, but Graeme Revelle is fantastic. It's still one of my favorite scores of like on any movie. Uh, I have it like on my Spotify playlist. The score is wonderful and it really brings up sort of, it makes those few scenes that emotionally actually work. It brings them up like another level and I think it's wonderful. I also had actually, now that I watched it again, had, had forgotten about the intro, which is actually kind of a cool intro. Like they, it's like the, there's a, a graphic of kind of Manhattan and then it, it's got all the windows that turn into like I Braille dots. I love the Braille. So, I always loved uh, that. Mm-hmm. I did think that was kind mm-hmm. of, that was kind of clever. Yeah. And uh, I do have some other positive things to, to say, too, but I'll uh, turn the floor over to you guys if you want to jump in and share. Yeah, yeah, I'll share. So at, at the beginning, you know, they only have, what, two, two and a half hours or something. I'm not sure how long the theatrical lease, release was. Oh, oh no, my- it was an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half, I think. Wow. Because that was back when we were keeping movies yeah. down to 90 minutes in general, mm-hmm. especially wow. like PG yeah. movies. I think it's a hundred so, like, minutes. Understanding that it was a very short movie, they had a lot to cover, like who Matt Murdock was, uh, who Daredevil was. I should preface it by it's very in your face, but they didn't have a lot of time to be subtle. Mm. I loved all of the things they used to highlight that he is in fact blind. And I think this is a thing that yes. The show sometimes underscored, but, you know, I love when he went into his, uh, went to his apartment and he had, you know, his money was, you know, in different boxes labeled with Braille and he folded them like a real person who's blind would. He had his suits and stuff, you know, with Braille tags. He, I'm trying to think of other things that he would use that were realistic, but I, I love that they just kind of use some really obvious things. I mean, yeah, it was kind of in your face, but I feel like especially in 2003, like a lot of people probably just wouldn't even know that this is how the blind community would do stuff. And no, I, I just like that aspect of it. They didn't try to 
whisk past it. Like even I feel like a lot of the um, the runs did, like the comics did, where they didn't really want to talk about the fact that he's actually blind. And sometimes I feel like you're reading and you're sitting here thinking, oh, you kind of forget that he's he's blind because he's so good at everything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of been been my issue with like 85% of Daredevil comics history. So um, uh, even, even when I've loved it, it's been like, it's something to maybe like get, get back to, uh, you know, in a different context, but I, I agree 100%. But, but on that topic, I do love the radar sense in the movie. And I think it does a mm-hmm. much better job than this than the show does. Uh, the, the world so on fire I for agree. the record did not work it is the worst thing yes. to come out of that tv show that was otherwise excellent but it just does not work yeah i'm glad they did, only did it once <laughs> i suspect part of the reason they only did once was because it was maybe when they were looking at it were like it doesn't really work because it doesn't it doesn't explain anything to anyone and people are still like super confused about how he does anything whereas i think in the movie the, the, and I'll actually specify which parts of that that I appreciated, because, of course, you have the sense that like sound itself is his light, quote unquote, metaphorically speaking, and that bounces off objects and everything. But you also get the nature of sound in that it is very ethereal, sort of it's there one second, gone the next. It's like a flowing thing. It's not a constant thing. It's like so sounds kind of bounce off each other. Then you get a new sound that kind of blankets out the sound that was there before. And it really kind of speaks to the physics and nature of sound in a way that, sorry, didn't get close to in the show. And I really do appreciate that. I mean, of course, there's some like ridiculous aspects too, like the whole thing in the rain, even though, uh, you know, it, it's been said that, of course, if you're inside, if you're, say you're standing in like a greenhouse or something and there's light falling on top of that, of course, that would give a, a blind person a great sense of like the space they're in because you would actually hear, you would hear the walls um, uh, in a way. But the way it actually lights up her face and like, and also the way you can actually, uh, one thing they didn't edit out of, of that whole processing was that you can still kind of tell that things are different colors. Like when he's in the hospital room, it's like the baseboards are lighter than the wall. But you shouldn't be able to see that. You should only be able to see the shape. I could nitpick that forever. But basic rule, I loved the approach and how it was tied into his sense of hearing and how it makes sense that he would be overwhelmed by certain sounds and how he would be disoriented by certain sounds, which actually does tie back to the comic, I think, in a really sort of effective way. Uh, so they that's the one I think they... I wouldn't say 100% spot on, but like 85%, which is high marks oh, yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> underscore that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I did think yeah, that was Yeah, I liked cool. his sensitivity to sound because it did give him a, like a real weakness in the movie. Something that I don't feel like they really touched on much in the show um, was his sensitivity to sound, which I feel like I would have liked to see a little more of that. But yeah, I, having not... I don't think they did anything with it. I think they just decided not to have that. Yeah, which makes me sad because I I liked that about... <laughs> yeah, because he, he was yeah. around a lot of explosions. <laughs> like There was a lot of explosions in the show. And I'm like, oh... I, yeah, I like like Lauren. I liked how in your face it is on the second viewing of this movie, and have to, after reading the comics, I'm like, I love this because it's almost like they're like, we're gonna take a literal like translation of the comic and we're gonna go for it, you know? Like for you, like this the scene where Electra's like fighting the sandbags. Can't you just see that on a page somewhere? Like that is so comic booky to me. And just using all the comic book writers' names, oh yeah, <laughs> things like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Miller, Even the goofy Mac, stuff Bendis. is like stuff you would read. 
Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of uh, comic booky stuff, how how do we feel? Because I know this is another issue we want to talk about. How do we feel about the CGI in this movie? Oh my gosh, we should have a whole episode about the CGI. (laughs) (laughs) And like early 2000s, their obsession with CGI, like I know it was so new and so exciting, but it aged so poorly. Yeah. Well, there was a jump in there that just completely, I mean, I know in general, they kind of defy physics, but he was running forward, but then did a backflip that continued him forward. I don't remember exactly where that was, but I'm going, that's not how, that's not, that was not natural at all. Yeah, there's one scene, I think, in the beginning when he first goes out where he's like jumping and he kind of, you can tell that the CGI is not, it's not great. He he jumps and it's almost like he's cat-like and it doesn't look quite human when he lands. And it's, uh, it does take you out of it a little bit. And I think I, I, there was some criticism of that, that even though, okay, maybe in the comics, it sort of kind of works that he's kind of like yeah. Spider-Man, even though I appreciate it when they make sure that he's, he's not full Spider-Man. It's like, even though he's got the equipment and everything, that's not, that's not a great way to travel for your shoulder in particular. Like that's gonna, that's gonna wear out in like two months. But I mean, he's not Spider-Man. He should move differently. But that's my, my two cents on that. Of course, I mean, a lot of the radar effects are, you know, also a form of special effects. They did that well, but I think the way he moves, it's just, it's not very human. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they did show the sense, you know, coming off of people when he was walking up the stairs toward Electra, you know, he could smell that tray of food and the, you know, there were good smells and bad smells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody like sprayed perfume or something. He saw the little cloud. Yeah, at the party. I, I love that, except the parts where it looks like he the scents bounce off stuff because that's also not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, right. like where someone's like blowing a cigarette and it's it like he can kind of see like the person because the smoke somehow bounces off the face of this person, which it doesn't, you know, in real life. So with the whole sense of smell, I did appreciate more, though, that when he was walking up the stairs, the people were more like just dark figures um other than you know when we were on the rooftop and you can see like the irises in Electra's eyes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> like i understand i think probably from their point of view you want to understand like they still wanted Electra to be beautiful and not creepy with dead eyes like mm-hmm. i get that but respect us a little more as viewers and give us more of the reality. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Totally on board with that. Um, Yeah. But smells, uh, he did use smell quite a bit, which I appreciated because I think it's such an underused sense. And uh, especially in terms of in the comics, it's, it's sort of the standard is that he recognizes people by heartbeats, which like in real life makes less sense than him recognizing people by scent. Because he would have great access to that and people are very, you would think, you know, off the top of your head that it would be more easy to recognize someone by their scent than by their heartbeat. I mean, he uses a heartbeat to detect lies as he does in, in the show and in, in the comics. But I think it's great that he, when he first, like, maybe don't want to talk about the playground scene, but what happens right before oh. the playground scene is that he goes after her and then he finds her by kind of sniffing the air. And you can tell that, oh, she's over there because I can smell her. And then he finds her. And I really appreciate little details like that because that, I think, makes much more sense to me than how 
how it's often done in the comics where a lot of times like I, I just I just wish that, you know, maybe newer writers uh, would have the uh, the courage to maybe back away from like how things have always been done just because they've been done that way, even though it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. And I think there um, there's some uh, room there for the comics writers to kind of grow and and uh, and try to go back to the drawing board and think things through again. I think that would help a lot. But by coming back to the movie, I think that was um, that was one thing they did well. What did we think about Ben Urich in this movie? I liked Ben Urich. I mean, he he did remind me of the comic books Ben Urich. Yeah. I don't really, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on him. I think they picked a, a, a good actor yeah, for him. Yeah, I was just thinking he was kind of, um, you don't really get that sense of any sort of, well, you do get a budding relationship at the end, of course, mm-hmm. that he right. decides to keep Matt's secret. But it's, it's, I just thought it was kind of funny how like sort of their first encounter is, well, at least official encounter is that Ben is talking to them at the party. And that's how I you know, kind of start thinking of Ben Urich. We're talking about the party and uh, how he talks to them. He talks to to Matt and and Foggy there, and he looks at Matt's cane that looks suspiciously like something he recognizes. And you know, stuff happens. And he there's a that scene even with uh, Kevin Smith as the Kevin, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as the uh, um, at the morgue. At the morgue, exactly. Um, and he shows that Daredevil's Billy Club turns into a white cane. But but at the same time, I like what how Ben ends up in the end. But it's like you don't really get a sense of why he would protect Matt. You know, not even really knowing him. And, and yeah, we'll see that now that you brought that up. He killed a guy. He killed a guy. Yeah. yeah. No, I was gonna say that's another thing that they like tried to cover in this movie. And here's Ben mm-hmm. Urich, and now he yeah. knows the secret. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think they're setting it up it. for sequels. You know. Yeah. Which. Yeah. yeah, I've got some more thoughts on that too, but. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we have to talk about Wilson Fisk as well. Uh, the Kingpin is in this movie is portrayed by Michael Clark Duncan, who sadly passed away in 2012. Um, who's a great actor, has been in a lot of movies, uh, The Green Mile, for instance, and um, super great kind of character actor. And I think he did uh, he did a pretty good job as the, the Kingpin. He definitely has like the the presence for it, like just the size and that booming voice and everything. And uh, so I think he was a great pick. Same. I loved it. I loved him too. Very, com- again, very comic booky. He didn't have a lot to do, like a lot to chew on. No. They didn't give him a lot, but love him. I loved his office with all that water. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, I think we're noticing that like, if we're going to talk about the different characters, like there's so not much to talk about because this movie was so short, you know, and it was doing so much yeah. and so so many different. But I will say that I do kind of love the crazy Irishman take on on Bullseye with Colin Farrell. Me too. Like his his introduction scene and to that to that like rap song, and then when he kills the woman on the plane yes. with a peanut. Yeah, <laughs> that is a yeah. classic yes. scene. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, because Bullseye's crazy like that. That's who knew, like, from the show that we needed this grounded version of, like, Bullseye. Yeah. Which, you know, like, and then the, uh, I love this Bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm probably, like, by myself, but. Oh, he no, was really I entertaining. I'm... I didn't like yeah. Bullseye from the comics. So this was a little bit of an upgrade. This one was a little more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, although I have that weird. The bullseye, like, etched into his forehead, I thought was yeah. a little strange. He can't really go incognito unless he's wearing a beanie or something. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> love it. 
Well, it was there to remind you. He's bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. And he takes it very seriously. He does. Mm -hmm. When he was fighting Electra, you know, and he whistles and is like, hey, orphan, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was very bullseye. I mean, I I enjoyed I enjoyed Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and he discovered uh, Matt's uh, sort of secret, or well, not to secret, uh, sensitivity to sound mm-hmm. pretty easily, too, when they're fighting in that church, um, which is another sort of infamous fight scene, um, where he readily recognized that, that, that Daredevil has this sort of, uh, that he's reacting uh, to the sound and doesn't like it. And uh, so he took ready advantage of that. Where does he even go in the end? Like, I just watched this movie, and I keep forgetting, like, does he just kind of scurry off? Bullseye? No, he, yeah. he gets thrown out that, that window and yes. lands on a yeah, car. Like a and hospital. then there's that bonus scene the at the end where he's in the hospital. Oh, right. He right. kills a fly with a syringe, right? Like he's got a body cast. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't paying and he's attention like bullseye. to that very quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. See, that's what happened. Like, even though I watched this movie like three hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> Some scenes are more, more memorable than others. So do we have anything else we want to bring up that we haven't covered already? I think we've talked about uh, we've talked about the census, talked about the radar. We talked about Colin Farrell. We talked about some of the various characters. Um, I actually have on my list the effing flaming double Ds was actually yeah. on my list. Yes. <laughs> CGI jump, sensor deprivation tank. And oh, actually, another thing. No, I was going to say, didn't he like pull a tooth out or something? Yeah, too? I actually Did have a like, section in my notes called the toll on his body. Yes, <laughs> and also it's yeah. really. Related to setting it up for a sequel, because mm-hmm. if he's in this bad a shape now, uh-huh. you know, and he's been doing this for years and he's finally learning thou shalt not murder and all that kind of stuff. But he's already got some of the characteristics of like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> so the toll on his body, I had uh, pulled out a broken tooth in the shower. At this rate, he's going to look like a hockey player. His dentist is probably wondering what's up. And also he's like chewing on these pills and I'm thinking he just pulled out a tooth. That that's really gotta hurt. And he's gnawing on pills that you normally swallow anyway. He also, when he wakes up in the morning, when he got up, the first thing he did after the he, you know, the, the lid came off the sensory deprivation chamber, he rubs his temple and pinches the bridge of his nose like he's got a headache. And then as he's getting up, his knees snap, crackle, and pop. Oh yeah. Also the painkillers. He's he's on these opioids, which, first of all, I remember thinking, Matt meditates. This is not not what he does. And if you look at the side effects, especially long term, those can even damage your hearing. So there would his radar sense would go really at this rate. He's not going to be able to to beat Daredevil for very long. You know, he's he's tearing himself up. And, you know, between the pills and everything else, he's just going to be a mess. I don't know, like, th- these would dull his senses for fighting, and it also they would possibly increase paranoia and <laughs> slow, <laughs> slow down his breathing. See, that's, you know, th- that's what's weird about it. It's like they, they went full comic book, then they're like, no, we need to be real grounded about the pain. Yeah. Like, he's got to dull the pain. <laughs> and he did have a lot of scars on his back, you know, and they were, a lot of them looked like they, to me anyway, from what I remember, the ridges were big enough that that some of them would have required stitches. And I'm going, well, I know he didn't stitch those up because those are on his back. So who's stitching him up and going, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> how are you having all these accidents? And I know they make that joke yeah, about yeah, Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it, and it's hard to, to do that. I walked into a door bit when it's on your back. Yeah, yeah it looked like he'd been whipped. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it really did. It looked like he'd had a thousand lashes. 
which I thought was kind of kind of odd because, you know, it didn't he'd had girlfriends and stuff and they spent the night at one another's places. You knew this because of that phone message that was left for him. I wake up and you're gone. Where do you go at two or three in the morning? By yeah. the way, little uh, pop up video bubble here. That was, I think, Colin Farrell's sister oh. who oh, yeah. left that message. I, and they I did actually use a comic book character's name. I don't remember what her name was, but they, they use. Yeah, Heather. Oh, Heather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, Matt. This is Heather. (laughs) You're never there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where are you? (laughs) It's funny now that Marvel has created this whole MCU. Because when you go back to look at Daredevil, there wasn't a lot in the Marvel catalog at that point. But looking back, you're like, wow, this is such a DC movie. It's so dark, like sometimes unnecessarily so. And Marvel really just like departed, at least in their movies, from that darkness. But I feel like even though the show is darker tone and more grounded, like this took a, a much darker tone in a lot of ways. It's it's goth, you know, almost. Yeah, like... it really is. <laughs> Which you can talk about the uh, the religious aspect of it and all of the imagery. And it's like that was very heavy handed in the movie, probably a little more than I needed. Like everywhere, it was like there was always pictures or a cross. And I'm like, this is great. I love that they focused on, you know, the religious side of things um, for his character. But like you said, it's a little goth. And I felt like it was a little much for the movie. Yeah, we don't. I I haven't. One person we haven't mentioned is uh, uh, Foggy. Uh, and uh, I have to say, I prefer the, the show's version of Foggy, definitely, even though, uh, you know, this Foggy gets a lot of, uh, there's some humorous Foggy-esque stuff going on in there too, of course. But I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, he gets cast in that sort of, um, you know, Foggy played by John Favreau, who is since gone on to be a whole lot of things in the be MCU. Be a billionaire. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Star Wars. Yeah, so he, he's everywhere, including the MCU. But um, he started, well, he didn't start with this, but it was, it was. Um, I didn't know him from very many other roles, I think, back in two, 2003. But I mean, he's he's there, you get us, like, he's a, it's a sliver, at least, of, co- of comic book foggy, but you don't really get the depth of the relationship. And I think that's, that's something that you're, you're just never going to get that in in a movie this short that has to cover this much ground, no matter the quality of the movie, almost. I mean, of course, it could have been better, but I think to come back around to the show, I think that's why we advocate so passionately for the character to come back to a television show, because you get all the time to develop the characters and the relationships and everything. And yeah, Kevin Feige is, agreed. Yeah. They had the opportunity when they got the rights back to make a movie. And he said, and according yeah. to an article, he said, uh, yeah, this would be more appropriate as a series. Yeah, 100%. So and I, I was I pretty think... happy with Foggy in the in the movie. I enjoyed, especially the cafe scene. I felt that kind of captured some of their closeness uh, in the cafe scene. And then when he was whining about the money, do you know what fluke is, Matt? I didn't know what fluke was, you know, <laughs> fluke is a fish. And yeah. I liked it because I thought they got the tone right, even though there wasn't much there. Yeah. They yeah. got the tone yeah, of their relationship right. right. I was concerned for a lot of reasons when the show was about to come out. I think because my experience with the movie, I'm like, I don't want this to happen again. Yeah. But um, I was really impressed with Eldon Henson's portrayal because I was thinking yeah. they did such a good job, in my opinion, for what it was for this little 90 minute or 100 minute movie back then, 
And I thought, I really hope they capture that Matt and Foggy relationship, because that is such a central thing. Foggy helps to, to ground him, and that's when you tend to see the humorous side of Matt. So yeah. I'd say that that scene where they're in the little cafe before Electra walks in, and even as she's getting ready to walk out, uh, that's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. I really like that scene, yeah. Yeah, I can't be mad at this movie because I feel like this is probably the exact same movie I would have made in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> this backlog of comics is what I was just going to say. Like, you're like, I want to do this and this and this, and my movie's going to have this. You know, I probably would have made the exact same movie. <laughs> Didn't the Hulk movie with Eric Bana come out the same year? I think so. Uh, probably. Possibly. And I think that was the one yeah. that was that was like the Ang Lee movie. And, and I remember um, seeing that. And they were still, I guess, trying to figure out yeah, how to bring the, the comics to the big like, screen. Because there's that one scene in Hulk where the military is coming and all of a sudden, nowhere else in the movie does this happen. But in that movie, the screen is broken up into panels. In this panel, helicopters. In this panel, like more helicopters. And and I thought they broke that up into panels, but they none of them gave more information than the, the others. And it was just that little section. And so I kind of felt like they were still trying to figure out Maybe to not make comic book movies so cheesy, but give them that comic book feel. Yeah, yeah. That would be so hard. It's, yeah. It was, it was. Um, I wasn't sure if they were ever going to get it right, because when the series, Daredevil series came out, I remember thinking, I feel like I'm in a graphic novel. And it, you know, the only time I yeah. ever sort of had that feeling, and something I watched a long time ago, Sin City, it was based on yeah, a Frank yeah. Miller thing. They made it very graphic novelly, although it was very departed from reality, from my memory anyway. But yeah, I felt like in 2003, they were still kind of trying to figure out, we want to make these grittier and stuff, and we want to appeal to the comic book people. We also, you know, want to keep them PG, and they just weren't sure quite how to make that all work together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like y'all talked about, the CGI just coming into, yeah. you know. One, one thing I wanted to mention just briefly before we kind of, I think we're probably nearing the end of this episode, but uh, one thing they actually did in Daredevil season two was that they had a bunch of references to the movie. I don't know if you noticed them or remember them, but I mean, I re remember writing a post about it at the time. So I'll just quickly cover the ones that were sort of Go, obvious yeah, kind of nods to the movie. The first one that I uh, noted was that watch it, asshole. It's uh, sort of when Matt and Fire are walking down the street and Foggy bumps into a woman. He yells that out and watch it, asshole. And and there's like a you know scene almost exactly like that in the movie. And also the way she says it, it's like very super clear as in like, hey, listen to me, what I'm saying right now, like pay attention. So I think that was a very deliberate thing. And then, of course, speaking of, you know, we we're talking about the fluke earlier, but, but the whole thing about being being paid in, you know, <laughs> in, in things that are not money. We do have the Nelson and Murdoch like in the second season when they come into the office and Karen is talking about that they have fruit and pie and everything. And this is not something that I have ever seen in the comics, really. So it's it feels like an obvious nod to the movie. Uh, there's also one scene that I will admit is maybe me reading it too much into it. But I do think that the scene where Matt is going through his wardrobe and picking out the suit to wear for the funeral uh, is very reminiscent of, you know, Ben Affleck doing the same thing in the in the movie, even though they could easily have, of course, you can have a a, a movie, or I mean, a scene like that. Anyway, but I did think it was quite similar. Uh, there's also a love scene in the rain, which is like a very oh, different yeah. one, but it is a love scene in the rain. There's also um, the uh, the ballroom scene, which is um, this is how I how I described it when I wrote this post. 
In the flashback to Matt and Electra's first meeting, there's a scene detailing Matt walking across a busy room to find her at a party that is very similar to the scene in the Daredevil movie where Ben Affleck's Matt finds Electra, then played by Jennifer Garner at a formal event. While it doesn't use the same blue radar effect as the original, the sounds and other effects are very similar as is the camera position and general sequence of events. Again, I could be reading into it, but I do think it seems like they are playing with some of the scenes. So, and then there's also a reference to, to uh, Fight Club, too. It's obvious that there's several little details like that, you know, makes you think that they wanted to make little nods uh, and references to the movie, which I thought was kind of fun. I like it when they do that, at least, at least as long as it's not yeah. like, too on the nose or anything. But if it's just like a subtle, fun thing, it's fan service. <laughs> So. Oh yeah, I love it. So we can we can we talk about Ben Affleck for a minute? Can we give Ben some sure, love absolutely. for what he had yeah. to sort yeah. of like you know? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I think he just totally like looked the part and I, his love for the character. I just got to like I hate that he gets so much yeah crap for this movie. <laughs> and I think he likes the character. I think he actually yeah. had read the comics because um, yes, one of the comics that I have he wrote a foreword in the the graphic novel. Oh cool! Right. From what I heard, he was a big fan of the comics. And also, I think he's even talked about how hard this movie was for him, like afterwards, like the reaction to it and how it turned out and what a disappointment that was. He actually took that pretty hard. Like he wanted, he too wanted this movie to be something. Yeah, because it was a character he loved. Yeah, exactly. But at least he did get, you know, marry Jennifer Garner after this movie. And of course, they since divorced, <laughs> right. but that was many years later. And they had like two or three kids together. So those children would not exist without this movie. So exactly. <laughs> and he went, he went on to yeah. be Batman. He's Batman. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved Ben. Yeah. I, I thought he did great. And uh, even now, like looking back, um, I watched it last night. And you know, for I feel like what his direction was and, you know, what the times like I, I do think he gave a good, you know, he was a great Matt, Matt Murdock. And I do love that when asked, Charlie has always given Ben praise for his Matt Murdock, you know, saying that kind of like us, like the movie definitely was not perfect, had a lot yeah. of flaws, but Ben really did a good job. And like I said, I kind of give him some credit, like, He's the one who introduced me to the character and from his, you know, portrayal, like I've liked this character totally. for quite a long time now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel this. I feel the same. If I had not found this movie, I don't I don't know that I would have paid attention when the show came out. You know, look where we are. And now. You know, I didn't think anybody had really paid that much attention to the movie. It wasn't until I got to meet people through this campaign that I realized how many people came to the comics because of that movie. I had just never met any other fans. Yeah. I do own the movie, by the way. So it's not like I just went, this thing is dead so to me. So do I. It was the only live <laughs> yeah. action version that I was aware of. And so I would just go through and watch some of my favorite parts some of the time. It's got some good parts. So does anyone have any, any final thoughts? Uh, or We could we, talk uh, about this for like two more hours. We, we could, right? but we probably shouldn't. Right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> you know, Mary... Mary, you you mentioned that you like to pop it in and like watch your favorite scenes. And the last time I was watching that, I, I think I realized too that what I love about the movie are really like the, the Matt Murdock parts. Yes. You know, not that I didn't like Daredevil, but I feel like those were the, the Daredevil scenes were the, the scenes that I had the most issue with a lot of times. Like I just liked seeing him be Matt with Electra yeah. or with Foggy. 
Well, and that's where he had more, more of a struggle. In some ways, he's a lot more himself. And in the Daredevil costume, he's more relaxed. And, you know, he's holding back so much more, it seems like, uh, as Matt. And so there's a little bit of that conflict, not trying to give stuff away, because I don't know, he's just a little more, a little more tightly wound, a little more complex when he's Matt. It makes it a little more interesting. In the movie, especially when he's superhero guy, he's kind of like all the other superhero guys. He's, he's less unique. I loved the happy Matt stuff. You don't, you know, that's uh, even in the show, it's just like there's all this drama and then you get these great little nuggets and realize what a great sense of humor he has and this great relationship with Foggy he has. And those are my favorite parts. Those are the parts that I would go back and watch. Sometimes I would watch the little playground fight scene, but um, not for the action. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, again, that was very brazen. Why would he do that and show yeah. that he can, do, you exactly. know, do all these flips and everything in public? Or him breaking into the apartment when he breaks into the apartment as Matt and there's like searching the apartment. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. For people who are confused right now, you're talking about the director's cut, right? Oh, I know. I was yes. like, what scene is this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so <laughs> confused. So to any of our <laughs> listeners out there who are like super confused and haven't, if you haven't seen uh, either version and you want to give one of them a try, we do recommend the director's cut. You can find I think it I have it. it I just don't have anything to play it on now. That sucks. Yeah, I don't either. That's what actually when I to watch this movie, I had to like rent it on Google Play because even though I do have the DVD and I have a DVD player that I never use, I took it out and it's like it doesn't I didn't have the right cords to connect to my current more modern TV. So so I had to watch the theatrical cut. <laughs> Can't watch it on a laptop anymore, man. Oh, times are so, hard. Yeah, yeah. That's how old this movie is, you guys. Super old. I have a feeling it's it's going to be like a cult classic. Yeah. Well, really, if you like the character, you're probably going to watch everything you can get your hands on. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I think it's time for us to wrap this up, guys. Uh, this was a great conversation that was all over the place, just like this movie. And uh, <laughs> we hope that we've either like scared you off or uh, maybe piqued your curiosity about this movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's nothing like the show and it's not nearly as good, of course, but it, it does have some some nice little gems here and there. And it, it does. It's a nice trip through time back to 2003 where movies like this were made. And guys, before you go, uh, please remember to follow us on social media. We are Renew Daredevil on Twitter. We are Save Daredevil on Facebook, Instagram, uh, other places. And keep an eye out and an ear out for the uh, our upcoming episodes, which will, among other things, be focusing on the various uh, the different seasons of the show. So that's it for now. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Bye. guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. For more information on Save Daredevil, please visit our website at savedaredevil.com. Remember, Murdoch's always get back up.